Hello and welcome to the next episode of Lost in Criterion. I'm John Patrick Oatari Dorgan, and with me, as always, is a man who has a lot of trouble with bathroom windows for some reason. <laughs> I am the Adam Glass, and it's just, uh, I find it, you know, as the crow flies by walking along a, a ledge <laughs> three Wait, stories what? up. Okay. Uh, it's like, it's like, easier to it's get from like bathroom three to miles bathroom. to my office. Yeah, it's easier but, to no. get from bathroom to bathroom. Um, Via, via ledges. Via ledges. That lead to bathroom windows. Um, I, am, I am so entirely unclear uh, as to the setup of any of these apartments. No, that... they don't make any sense. Because they all also... Okay. We need to talk. I, I, I need to like... There's a lot I have to get off my chest about this movie. But the okay. most clear and obvious one is the fact that a lot of naked people just came to their balcony. <laughs> Like, I understand this is not the United States, and I understand cultural values are different, but, like, I still have a feeling that, like, somehow that's the most fantastical element of this entire movie. That every every bathroom has a balcony. Onto their balcony to, like, look around, like, in the middle of the day. Yeah. Is a weird behavior that I just don't see any people doing. (laughs) But it also somehow doesn't match the geography of the room because that's also the bathroom window? Yeah, I mean, I'm not, like, it's a sex farce, so I'm not really concerned about the geography of any in the individual scene. But I think <laughs> but... that's not fair. <laughs> um, I, in, in, in a joke, I, like, I, in, in, a, in a very serious way, like, it being a goofy comedy yeah. doesn't, excuse, like, and, and maybe the geography makes sense, like, if I, if I spent more time with the movie. You know what I mean? Right. If I really like dug in and like was like, oh, okay, the bathroom's actually next to the living room, and well, um, but like, just I, I don't like that. Like, a movie can be excused based on its content for like confusing like dynamics. You know what I mean? Like, you, yeah, you if you put thing if you make a film, like I want to be able to know what that space is. Like that's a thing um, I expect. Yeah the, the the weirdest thing to me. Geographically speaking, floor plan wise in this place, I I feel like the relationship between his apartment and Mateo's apartment, the doctor's yeah. apartment, makes sense. And their geography makes sense compared to the windows and the balcony and the ledges. I, I, I maybe. I the fact maybe. that the center apartment, the uh, the flight attendant's apartment only has one window because of the setup uh, and doesn't appear to be a studio during our time in it. Though no. it is not large. It is not as large as the other two. Uh, and certainly the, the doctor's is larger than any of the others. But the way everything is set up doesn't entirely make sense. But no. her her apartment is the uh, the nail in that coffin. <laughs> as well, to my my, as to my it not other issue with it me. is the fact that they have a so a spy a, a center spiral staircase design. It's not spiral, but you know what I mean. It's that it's that yeah. like rotunda style where it just kind of goes in a square. Yeah, would indicate a different shaped building. Than, than what, what we see from the outside with because yeah. that would mean his apartment and the and Mateo's apartment are both incredibly long yes and narrow and hers is fat and wide yeah and it seems it also seems from the uh from the setup 
uh, from the entryway of Mateo's apartment that uh, that door is not in the proper position compared to the rest of the building. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. A lot of it. Yeah. I, and then and then when we do end up outside naked, that the the geography of the outside of the building just makes no fucking yeah. sense to me. It's like this That's is just fair. a flat plane. There should just be like. It should be a more traditional, like, back-and-forth staircase leading up to just a row of apartments on each floor right. for the shape from the outside. Right. I don't... Well, I'm sorry that that pulled you out of the movie. No, ruined it, it ruined it for, for me. <laughs> We're going to try to move on to have a discussion about the film. I uh, guess. I mean, but I, we get, I, frankly, I'm... I'm we got to get the... We got to get the complete movie ruining moments out of the way, and uh, and that's definitely one of them. Yeah, oh yeah, no, nothing to do with all the the weird stuff. Like just that, like, just the geography. <laughs> just that, just the geography. Definitely a problem. Pat, before we dive into this, I want to talk about our Patreon, patreon.com slash lostincriterion. Uh, over there, we do a bonus episode every month, a non-criterion film, uh, usually uh, based on uh, based on movies we watched recently or, or... Or the loophole that is the Eclipse Collection or whatever. Or the loophole that is the Eclipse Collection or anything non-criterion, non-official criterion release is up for grabs. And I put together a list of movies and... Supporters get to vote on them, and then Pat and I record that episode, and supporters get to listen to it, obviously. Just $1 a month gets you a vote and the listening rights and the entire back catalog of that. So we've watched just a wide array of movies over there. Like I said, it really depends on my whim when making the list. It depends on uh, you know what movies I think of when I'm putting it together a very theme. weird conversations that are very early in the morning for you, very, very yeah. late at night for me. Peripheral conversations. Um, so so we've watched things like uh, some really great movies that should be in the Criterion Collection, uh, like Dog Day Afternoon or uh, another great Sidney Lumet film, uh, Failsafe, uh, which was the, the straight version of Dr. Strangelove that came out the same year. Um, we've, done, uh, we've done some real utter garbage uh, over there. Uh, including uh, Monster Squad it. and the oh. Will Ferrell movie Kicking and Screaming, God, the which is worst movie we have quite literally seen. the worst movie I've ever seen. In like, my life. I, I mean, I'm not. I am not. I am being 100 percent serious here. Okay. I have been thinking about the fact that at some point I might end up having to like revisit Solo because it's. I don't think I was fair to it. I didn't yeah. like it, but I don't think I was yeah. fair. I will never watch Kicking and Screaming again. I would rather die. <laughs> Amen. Um, uh, speaking of utter garbage, also, uh, there are five items on every vote, and four of them fit the theme. And the fifth one is always Kazam, the 1996 Shaquille O'Neal starring children's film in which he plays a genie. Uh, and it is something itself. They <laughs> yeah, have, it's, it's uh, they have made us watch really. it once. It's they really have made special. us watch it once. And uh, and it, I'll tell you what I'd rather watch Kazam again than ever watch oh, Will Ferrell's oh, Kicking. Oh, for screen. sure. I th- I still stand by the belief that somewhere deep inside of Kazam is something special. Yeah, it is so utterly absurd. 
from just from top to bottom in, in a way that kicking and screaming just isn't. Kicking and screaming is just hollow garbage. Yeah. Whereas I feel like Kazam, somebody was trying to do a thing, and it didn't right. go well at all, but they were trying to do a thing. And and it just it, it fell it went off the rails and I think there's something valuable in exploring how it went off the rails. <laughs> like what trying to like look at you know what I mean like it's like it's almost like um you ever like you know like uh it's like almost a CI a CSI type project kind of thing where it's like well we're gonna look at the aftermath of this and try to reconstruct <laughs> where it started. Uh, I feel like there's some value in Kazam there like somewhere deep inside is the heart of somebody trying to like. Trying to make a movie for kids, and it just yeah. fell apart. Yeah. Kicking and Screaming, I don't think, knows its audience. No, knows Kicking and Screaming, it. I don't know that Kicking... I think Kicking and Screaming was made by, like, a very early version of, like, Deep Blue. <laughs> like, I think it's an algorithm generated that movie, and it just... And things did also go off the rails, but that was mostly yeah. because uh, the machines went to kill us. <laughs> Stupid machines. And, and they realized, probably earlier than we will... That the easiest way to do that is through our own, our own, yeah. you know, weaknesses. You know what I mean? Like, it's not, it's not going to be guns. That do, well, actually, guns probably would be do it. Does it? Frankly, I mean, that's a whole other <laughs> thing. But uh, pointed, pointed sticks and projectile weapons. That's. Uh, but you know, it's also really seeing the, sowing the seeds of discord with really god awful movies like Screaming and Screaming. Absolutely, was part of uh, it for sure. <sighs> Uh, speaking of sowing the seeds of discord, a recent theme, just to give you folks an idea of the sort of thing we do over there, uh, inspired by the fact that it was rumored and continues to be rumored that Robert Pattinson would be the uh, the next uh, Batman, uh, I put together a, a, a list of non-Twilight uh, Pattinson starring films for us to watch recently. Uh, and from that, we ended up watching the 2017 movie Good Time. Uh, and I'm... I'm still not entirely sure if I regret watching oh, that or not. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna talk about it. I, I have a lot of thoughts about that, frankly. Yeah. Well, actually, most, we'll be re- most importantly is the fact that I thought I was getting some sort of uh, cyberpunk noir type thing with the intro screen. <laughs> yeah, and right. I didn't get that. That didn't not happen that at all. Well, uh, we'll be recording that episode after we record this one. So, uh, so Pat and I have not talked about it yet. No, we have not. Be, that'll be its own treat. Uh, but yeah, that's all for $1 a month you get access to that. Patreon.com slash Lost in Criterion. Uh, that's the $1 a month. For a little extra, for $5 a month, we like to thank those uh, supporters on air. Uh, so our current $5 supporters, Adam Speakerman, Kevin Little, thank you so much for your continued $5 you. support. They've both been in there for a, for a long time, and we're very grateful to them. For a little above that, at $10 a month and above, uh, we do something that I really think is special. Uh Based on one of the movies we've watched recently, Pat makes a piece of art, and I have it printed up on a postcard and write a little thank you note, personal note to you, uh, and mail that off. Uh, you get something physical, you get a great piece of art from Pat, something you get uh, some mediocre writing from me, and uh, <laughs> sometimes it's just a thank you note, sometimes it's a, amusing about the movie, uh, you know, maybe final thoughts on the movie. Um, cause, cause often, you know, we have these conversations like within days of watching the film usually. Uh, and I've only watched it once and I haven't had a whole heck of a lot of time to process it. And part of this conversation is that processing of it for the episode, you know, and that's, that's the right. nature of the project we're doing. And that's what we want it to be. It's Pat and I having a conversation about the movie as we're processing it, figuring it out. Uh, you know, it's, it's two friends walking out of the theater. That's 
what Lost in Criterion yeah. is meant to be. And, and, and with uh, all the garbage that that includes in, in a lot yeah. of ways, right? Like, of us just not, like, sometimes it's just you and I. Well, luckily, you do a good job of editing it. So there's not a lot of the, the five minutes of silence while you and I try to figure out what to talk about next. Right, right. So, uh, so one thing that, uh, that those notes allow me to do is that I get to revisit the film after a couple of weeks of having actually thought about it. So I can say something new or something poignant, maybe, but not always. Anyway, that's $10 a month. Uh, and like I said, it's great stuff. Uh, so yeah, thank you to all of our supporters. Uh, and thank you, especially those $10 and a month, the uh, $10 a month and above guys. Uh, currently, Jason Westhaver and Michael McGrath at that mark. Yeah, thank you. So this week, we're talking about, uh, <clears throat> as I said, a, a sex farce. Solo con tu bareja, only with your partner. Uh, 1991 film from Alfonso Caron, his first feature-length film. Uh, made in Mexico in 1991. Uh, well, in 1990. It actually uh, it got buried a little bit in Mexico. Uh, this was a... Uh, it was a film... Uh, a government-sponsored film, as many films in Mexico at the time were. Uh, it... Uh, and then the... Uh, the government decided that they didn't want to put the film out. Um, so, yeah, that was I was reading that. That that's a yeah. I mean, I guess okay. Like, I it's not hard to figure out why. Like you, you know what I mean? Like on a real fundamental level, right? Like it's. I mean, it is a sex farce. I guess like it's not hard to figure out why a government might be like, yeah. hmm, maybe we shouldn't be. Well, it's Let's not just this, a but I sex if farce, like... though, because it's also a social farce. It's also a one of the earliest movies within Mexican cinema to be a pointed uh, satire of the middle class. Um, and on top of that, the title itself, uh, Solo con tu pareja, Only with Your Partner, is the official government... Uh, HIV awareness slogan. Oh, interesting. Uh, yeah, so. I mean, like, I mean, yes, it is. It is obviously, well, but like, honestly, like, if you're making an even halfway decent sex farce, it's not just a sex farce. Like, yeah. that's just that's the way it works, right? Like, it's just you're not. If that's all you made, like, you just essentially made a a, a very very boring porno. Uh, <laughs> um, right. So, like, I mean, obviously, it's it's going to be more than that, and 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 we we can talk about some of that stuff, but like. I didn't know that about the um, about the uh, yeah. slogan, but the thing is, is like, what is that? What does that mean? Like, I mean, I understand what the phrase means. Like, it's not hard to figure out. We're not talking about something, part, but like, what is this? In all honesty, when I was watching it, and this was before I got my migraine, what is the movie trying to say? I think the, the movie thing is... that I had a lot of trouble parsing the uh the criterion essay uh which is written by ryan f wong and assistant professor of spanish at the university of oklahoma uh i sometimes it's it's people who who maybe uh maybe the criterion sees some expertise that their actual uh, credential description does not uh, uh, yeah I, betray. I mean, yes that's 
Um, Maybe he's seen uh, the movie a lot. Yeah. His research focuses on contemporary Mexican culture and politics. He's currently completing a book project entitled Fictions of Totality, uh, the Mexican novel and the national popular state. Um, anyway, apparently Professor Ryan F. Long is uh, very, uh, very into Mexican culture. Um, yeah. And I'm sure he's an expert. Anyway, one of the things he talks about uh, of this movie as a social critique of uh, of the state of Mexican culture in 1991. Um, and uh, that this, he talks about this being one of the first movies that portrayed the middle class, uh, but it also corresponds to a time where the middle class was starting to go to movies, where there was an influx of cinemas, oh, okay. um, where, where apparently... Within Mexico, Mexican culture prior, uh, cinema was was very much a lower class activity. I can I've heard that about other cultures before. This is not the first yeah. time I've heard that. Like, where like, up you know higher tiers of uh, society tended to go to more what, what are considered like sort of aspirationally uh, high class behavior, yeah. and like, like cinema is for like like those the, the people who can't or won't go to that kind of stuff or whatever right right i've heard that about other other places before that's not the first time oh. yeah so um so this pokes fun at mexican culture not just through the psa aids campaign um but you know the the fact that he's an ad man and his major major account is for canned pickled jalapenos right that uh, that the entire uh, the entire campaign is centered around uh, Cortez and Montezuma, right? It's it's a this is poking at Mexican national stereotypes again and again. Like right. even as it pokes at you know, this movie uses stereotypical Japanese tourists. Yes, it does. To and and that's. Yes, they're a caricature, but look at how Tomas actually interacts with them is to do all the stereotypical. He takes them to do the stereotypical Mexican things, Mexican touristy things. You know, right. we get that montage of him, you know, doing shots of tequila and wearing sombreros with them. Right. It's it's he is is just as. Uh, you know, he uh, he is showcasing. Mexican stereotypes to these these stereotypical, you know, uh, tourists, right? Um, and then even you know one thing one thing that often often what these essays bring up is stuff that you know I can see their perspective on it, but but I don't it, it's not something I thought about before, right? Which is one reason that reading the essays is is good for the sake of these conversations, uh, but. Uh, but one thing that's definitely true, and, and I felt while watching it, is that the movie's very insular, very closed. Uh, I mean, 90% of it takes place in his apartment, right? Or, or the apartment right. building. Even when he's outside it, he's just outside it. There's that really, um, you know, visually poignant scene when, uh, when uh, she's leaving to go to her flight. And he's standing in the in the foyer, 
and gets splashed by the light of the door as she walks out uh, and then is left back in the darkness of the foyer. Um, there is a, a, a sense of freedom in the outside um, that even, even in a film that has scenes that take place outside, uh, you know, he's in the woods, he's in the, the tent of the, of the uh, wedding. Um, it's still closed off. And then we have yeah. this big set piece finish where they're on top of uh, the tallest building in Mexico City. They're on top of the um, – they're seeing the entire city. It's the first time we feel like we're in Mexico City. It could be any any city, period, elsewise. Right. But now we're not just we're, – we're at a national landmark and we're seeing the city spread out and there's nothing around them except the building right below them. And it's open and it's free, and they're they're moving into the freedom, the freedom of monogamy here. But still, the freedom of what uh, I didn't say the message was great. I just no. I mean, it's, well, it's definitely making I mean, an interesting. We'll get into argument, that. We'll get. We will talk yeah. more deeply about that part in a minute because that. I mean, I get where you're coming from, and I totally understand. But my problem is, is that like. And it's not a big problem or anything, but, like, it feels like pairing up all the things that are in this movie makes it jumbled. Yeah. A little bit. Like, I mean, because it it it, it feels, it, it in part feels like a an, a an AIDS awareness campaign got horribly awry. <laughs> yeah. Okay. In part. And a uh, uh, a heterosexual centric AIDS awareness campaign right, too. Absolutely, uh, and 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 especially gone awry because it, one of the hardest things that was that there was trouble getting across to people in the in the era like where AIDS sort of came to the forefront of people's attention was the idea that like this. But but I mean, and it, yes, it is, it is very much a heterosexual focused version of that. But that in some ways that was a big problem was the fact that like. Oh yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah, not yeah. I'm not gay and I don't do drugs, so I'm right. fine. Was right. an attitude that a very humongous portion of the populations right, 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 of right, right. almost every country had for a very long time. Absolutely. Which was problematic, right? Because like people were actively spreading uh HIV without knowing it because they just were like, "Oh, no, that's for for these this group of people." Like I'm just not going to care about that. But then this movie hardcore undermines that message. Right. In a really serious way because you you can argue that like oh you know he gets the scare and stuff but the fact that it is not actually true uh, i think very heavily undermines that particular message which is i think definitely fits within the category of one of the reasons why maybe the government was like are you fucking kidding me yeah uh about the whole movie is that is that the fact that that is a trick leads in the end, leads you. Yeah, I mean, he adopts monogamy. Air quotes. Uh, we'll see about that. Uh, but like, uh, he, um, the fact that it is a trick leads to this sort of conclusion that, like, oh well, like, this isn't actually a problem for, uh, right, for for people for like heteronormative people. It's like, oh, this is still just a problem for a group of people that's not at all featured in this film. You, you know what I mean? Like right, it, it just right. it does. It, I I I I mean I would I will I will entertain arguments to the contrary, but I don't think that they're true. <laughs> like 
It, it does under it, it would be like if you watched any like like if you watched any ad campaign about uh, a serious social issue and at the end it was like it turned out to be a trick you would be like no that that undermines everything that you just said in a really serious way and i get that it's not like i mean it's not actually an ad campaign for for you know aids awareness but like it's kind of a shitty thing to do in that way if that makes sense to me like it makes yeah. sense to you like i mean even if you're not like actively trying to um even if that's not your job you know what i mean like we there are, and there are movies that that do this with other things right like you and i have talked about movies that like seem to be going down the path of having a really positive like uh you know various positive social messages and then kind of pull the rug on the last at the last minute it, and it doesn't matter what social issue it is that it, always feels kind of shitty because you're like oh you were headed to a place where you might actually like impact people and then you're like ah fuck it nah i'm okay we're not gonna do that today it's more important that this be funny uh in a really base way yeah than to actually like you, you know what i mean like because that's like not actually funny right like that 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 is not a funny joke like the characters act like it's a funny joke right like everybody's giggling and laughing and stuff but like and i don't mean not funny in like uh, i'm gonna take this too seriously way i mean like it's just not actually funny right, right. like you know what i mean like I, there are funny moments in this movie, for sure, but that's just not one of them. Well. Like, her doing it is kind of amusing because of her beha- like her reaction, like her right. emotional state. She does, it, she does like, it as an emotional revenge, right? And then uh, the, his, his best friend, upon hearing about it, is very drunk and says, eh, let him, let him suffer for a minute. Um, I don't know. You know, obviously it wasn't. It wasn't meant to be a practical joke in its inception. No, right. It, well, the reason I say it's not funny is like from a more meta, like film yeah. standpoint. Yeah. It's just obviously, not like, obviously from the meta standpoint, really it's meant to be a funny thing that they do. And uh, yeah, in 1991 in particular, uh, that uh, <sighs> yeah, I mean, especially in context, that's super not funny. But like, there is a balance that, to like, play it's just like, between normalization. Right, and we get a lot of films around this time that are are normalizing HIV positive people, but this movie's not trying to do that, right? No, because, this, because he's not actually doing that, um, and uh, he's not actually HIV positive, um, and he wants to commit suicide when he finds out he is. Like, right, he see, never... like that that creates a there's a there's a very right. strange paradigm going on in this movie, right? About about being hiv positive it just it is it creates this really weird world where you're like i don't know like it's just a very uncomfortable world to live in yeah the movie's like he's going to commit suicide because he finds out he has it and then also he's not he doesn't actually have it but it like leads him to learn a valuable lesson about his life (laughs) like it's all really kind of like gross right i mean like like i said there's a lot of really interesting stuff in this movie beyond that uh, that's just that whole final sort of closer feels less good than other things. Yeah, like you know what I mean. It's like, oh, we need him to learn a valuable lesson, like in a very like shitty, like in a sex farcical version of like an after school special. <laughs> like, like what? 
Yeah. Yeah, there's that. <laughs> and that's fair. Um, no, you're absolutely right. Because, you know, what they wanted to do, HIV made sense because of the stakes they want to play into this, right? He He right. is looking... You know, this needs to be something to completely shock him out of it, so it can't be a treatable STD. Um, and it's just... And you need one that's... I mean, I understand. Like, I understand from a writing yeah. perspective, because that's the only treatable, untreatable STD, especially at the time, that has that sort of social impact. Because right. there are other ones. You could name them. But yeah. then, like, they don't have a social impact that would, like, make right. the audience like be aware you know what yeah. i mean like you're like oh you know he's got this other thing that like oh he's got herpes it's like well okay yeah is is the natural reaction to that like you know. now the fact that the movie is called only with your partner and that it ends with a promise of monogamy suggests that the movie is itself functioning as that PSA, and you already called it a weird PSA, but it, it really does. It hits the notes to function as that PSA, right? Yeah. Um, so in that regard, I guess the fact that he doesn't have HIV is is good to him because the movie needs to end happily. But uh, but it also reinforces that idea that but he could have, right. um, and look at the web of people it would affect if he did. Right, know. but it doesn't really play with that idea that much. I mean, it does a little bit with like phone calls and stuff. Right, but like it 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 again. Actually, you know what it feels like. Uh, I'm trying to think of a good director example of this, but it feels like one of those we've we've seen movies where like a person gets commissioned to make this work and then they run away with it. And yeah. like it gets, and then like certain notes still have to be in there. Right. Like it does actually feel like a person was paid to make a PSA and then just fucking like lost it somewhere along the line. And it just stopped being a PSA, but certain notes yeah. that like were are left over from the original script are still like, in there. Like they do make that. There are those phone calls do exist in the movie. Yeah. Like some of Romer's like, shorts. Exactly, it, like yeah. it, it, but it's like, but it's not. They're not really highlighted enough to like. Right, you can make that movie. There's a there's a version of that movie that is, and I think that it already exists for sure. I've I think I've probably seen it at some point. Uh, we probably probably for this. Yeah. Or frankly, I think I think the weird part of this movie is that it really does function as a PSA. Like the other the other sex farces we've seen that are doing something else, like. Uh, rules of the game rules of the game is a sex farce with a deeper message but its deeper message isn't about sex this one's deeper message is still kind of about sex Uh, at least it's one of the messages here it would be an it would be an aids awareness psa which is which is especially when you're dealing with like it is obviously doing other things culturally but it is also functionally an aids awareness psa so right. yeah um, right but like it, but it is an aids awareness psa that undermines itself a lot like yeah. in a really intense way like as we like talked at, about it. at no point at no point during rules of the game is is there ever a uh, a straightforward hey if you have sex with too many people 
uh, someone's going to try to kill you in a Russian roulette challenge. Uh, right. <laughs> even though that is a function of the plot of the movie. Like, the function of right, the plot right. here but like, I mean, reinforces. Again, that gets down yeah. to, like, what... Like, those are... I mean, I, I understand why you're comparing those movies, but those those are these are radically different movies well like yeah in, and that's my conception point, right? and, and yeah it, it's just the, the, the only reason i say that is because like rules of the game is what i mean is like yeah your point about like this being essentially a psa is that it's just that rules of the game is in no way actually a psa right right right, like, right. You know, for anything like other than like Oh, we're we're like our conceptions of how to like how society is supposed to function is really fucked up or something like that. Right, but right. like that that crosses almost a boundary of things being like too abstract for a PSA. Like the problem with this is that it, at its heart, its message for the the PSA message of it is very simple. You know what I mean? Right. Like it is PSA level. Right. Right. Like don't. Don't have sex with too many people, or else you're going to get AIDS. Like that's the message. Right. Like it, that. That is a very simple message that you and I literally saw on TV as children. Right. Essentially, you know. I mean, in very sugar coated language, but nonetheless. Yeah. I, I mean, and I don't know. I I just. I mean, I have a lot of problems with this in a, in other ways, and I don't. I I don't want to be. Okay, let's be honest here. I am, by nature, in this in this podcast, become in hyper contrary, and okay, <laughs> like it is just what has happened. I don't know why, but like, the more movies I watch, the more the harder I am to please. Yeah, uh, and it's just the way it is at this point. I'm getting very cantankerous about this entire thing. By the time we get to like number six hundred, I'm just going to fucking like, it's just going to be me. Like, we're not even going to get through the intro before it's just me complaining for an hour. Um, but, like, there were other problems with this movie. <laughs> like, I joked about the geography of the film, yeah. which is also confusing. Uh, but there are other problems, uh, like, that, that did actually, did more to take me out of the film than bad. Like, th- even the bad PSA sort of feel to it. Um, these include, but are not limited to, the fact that, like, he, and I understand this happens, in especially in farces and things like that. But, like, he is the only person with a lot of power and agency in this universe. It's very much like a, a fantasy universe, right? Which is yeah. fine. Uh, it happens in comedies. But, like, also, I, I don't appreciate, like, I understand that it is, it is, air quotes, a funny bit to have him having sex with two different women in two different rooms at the same time. Like, that has been done before. That is not new to this movie. Right. Uh, but, like... In order for that gag to function, everybody else has to be dumb as fucking shit. Right. And I don't like movie. I don't like comedies that depend on the butts of the joke being. Like, yeah, I understand he is also the butt of the joke because he is an asshole and he is yeah. ridiculous and stupid. Like I understand that it is making fun of him more than it's making fun of anybody else. But but both women being oblivious means they're stupider than he is. Right. Right. And, and I don't I don't enjoy comedy that is dependent on. That I feel like that is you hit certain there are certain like hierarchies of comedy and a high and a comedy that requires everybody who a person interacts with to be so dumb that they're the smart one is a yeah. very low tier. 
of comedy. You know what I mean? Like, it, it just is for me. Because we've encountered, it, 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 sex aside, like, we've encountered in our lives, I don't, probably through this podcast too, but, like, just in general, comedies that function on that as a premise. And it is, for me, it is a very low bar. Yeah. For me, it is always funnier when, like, it is always more interesting when, like, people, you know, there's the other kind of comedy where we get into, like, where, like, everybody's aware, but, like, the world is just a, an out-of-control place, and so things just still keep going. You know what I mean? Like, there's a, there are higher tiers than this. There are higher tiers than both of those two women being so dumb that they can't sort out that he keeps leaving. Yeah. Like, and they don't bother to investigate, and it's and it goes the entire fucking night. Yeah, and then like, that bothers me. Like, it, and then it, when it, he shows back up, everything's okay. Like, yeah, it, and and then and then the way his friends react to it is sets a very weird social precedent in the film. Right? They're like, oh, that's just how he is. Right. It has a very like. Like very oh, congratulatory of his his is of him essentially being a sexual predator. Yes. Like, like he's a yeah. weird weird is a weird place to go. Like, oh yeah, two women at once. I'm so impressed. Is a weird reaction to everything that happened. Like his, I understand they're his friends, but come the fuck on. Like, <laughs> like I I can't I don't. I have do not have and have never in my life had a friend who my answer to them doing the thing that we saw would be their reaction. Right. And I can't even conceive of that makes them bad people. <laughs> you you know what I mean? Like at a very core level, he's a bad person, but so are they. Yeah. Pat Pat believe me, if I discovered if I came home and discovered you in my apartment. Right, and exactly. It, and it was very clear that you had had sex in my apartment. And also, we're having different sex with a different woman well, and, in and your that, apartment at the, the same and, time. And then, and then I as a lie, you. like it's built, on, it's built on our framework of lying, right? Like, right. and that's the weird thing is like all of my view of this is is a very specific view of this, which is every step of this is bad because of the deception that's involved, right? right. Like, like I come home and I find a friend of mine having sex in my house. I'm weirded out. I'm probably a little angry at them, but if they're in a relationship with that person, it's problematic on like social levels rather than like higher, you know, higher levels of, of problematic behavior. Right. Like you, we, we need to talk about the boundaries in our life together. Right. But like, not like then you add in like this extra level of deception where like, how do I, I've this, I'm losing the train of my thought here uh, a little bit. the, Migraine medication is evil. Um, the problem is, is that every step is based on this weird hyper level of deception, which makes it predatorial rather than like some slightly outside of what's considered normative sexual behavior for a person. You know what I mean? Like, okay, like if if everybody's on board for any of these steps, it's fine. If the fact that it's all based on deception is not right. And it, and it's very weird. I don't like it. It makes me very uncomfortable. Um, is what I'm saying. I get that. I and 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 the fact that like everybody seems to be on board for it, except for the people who get hurt, is problematic. 
Yeah. Like, I, I don't know. Like, we get into another weird even, territory. Even like, most of the people who got hurt are on board with it, though. So, like... Yeah, I mean, well, I mean... Uh, yeah, but that's the problem, right? Is like, this movie had a desire to wrap everything up in a little bow. And that is a that is problematic in itself separately, right? Like, I have problems with the comedies where, like... Th- there have been people who have argued that, like... You know people air quotes who've argued that comedy is bad things happening to other people right i i disagree with that as a premise yeah it's it's it is fundamentally wrong it it is a type of comedy and it is a very low tier type of comedy um it, yes they get on board at the end because the movie doesn't want to end with people still hating him yeah that doesn't mean that it reflects anything close to reality right right like and that and that's probably like i i i comedies that desire to talk about human emotion and society have an obligation to actually reflect how society functions and having everybody be okay with them at the end is is a departure from that right like it's it's saying no, what the the fiction of our film is more important than the reality of the universe, right? Like people aren't going to just magically be okay with him being that, like, be an asshole, right? Like, and then this weird shift, air quotes towards you know this shift towards monogamy at the end is is a whole other thing, right? Because we even get like we go through this entire like, boy, this movie's a fucking roller coaster. Uh. Because we get at the very end, right? Like, he's oh, he's monogamous now, right? Well, number one, like, so was the person she... Like, I feel like so was the person she left for him, right? Air quotes, monogamous, right? Like, he... Right. He he clearly suffers from some some psychological problems that are not going to magically be resolved by an AIDS scare. Right. And then we see him, like, look at those women as he's, like, going through the airport, right? And he turns around, he's like, oh... He didn't fuck him. He's <laughs> right. changed. It's like, well, number one, that's a whole weird message, right? Because like they they have zero agency, and neither do any of the other women that he fuck, that he has sex with, right? And fuck is actually the correct word, right? Because it's it's this aggressive, like he's what's important here right. in this conversation. Like it's his choice, not anybody else's. Uh, and then like. Oh, he's a changed man. He didn't. He he could. He was able to walk down a tarmac without fucking every single person he met. Hooray. Congratulations, he's a changed man. Uh, but like, like, did he obviously want to? Yes. Yes. Is that alone a problematic stance to operate under? Yes. Yeah. And like, if she were, if if his, if his, I guess they're gonna get married. I don't know. Uh. If she's on board for it, okay. But, like, she's clearly not. Essentially, he's operating under some sort of weird, like, threat of murder, which is... I I don't... I I understand it's a sex farce. I've seen a lot of them. And, And some of them do it this way, some of them do it other ways. But it's never not problematic. Right, right. And the idea that they're going to be in a lasting relationship when they fell into this relationship during a night of trauma for both of them. Right. Is uh, insane. Is insane. In and, and then one of them literally has to hold his, like, has to keep his 
dickin' check walking down a hallway. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Um, and only barely. He's barely able to do it. He's by the skin of his teeth. I do think that's all valid. Um, and I think certainly you and I watching that, watching this movie, I agree. So I want to think about what about this movie or maybe what about this movie, not even insularly, but, but metatextually uh, and its mm-hmm. place in the world led Caron to getting two prestige American pictures uh, before he made what is considered his real first masterpiece of Mexican film. Uh, a decade after this, with Ichu right. um, Mama Tambien, uh, and then and then after that, he moves into the big prestige pictures that we know him for and love him for, with you know Children of Men and Gravity and yeah, uh, I, I... and Roma. Roma is phenomenal. Roma's an amazing movie, um, which I've not seen, but yeah. yeah. Uh, so so this movie. You know, being in 1991, it feels like a Mexican equivalent to a. Uh, it feels like Steven Soderbergh or or you know a lot of the American indie guys working at this time. Uh, you know, a lot of this movie reminded me a lot of four about Four Rooms, in yeah. in the way it was shot and the way it's it's paced and written, um, and its zaniness to that. Uh, you know, it doesn't necessarily, I don't say that to say it necessarily feels like Robert Rodriguez in the same way. In fact, it, it, it no, out of, out of the parts of the four rooms that it feels like, it feels the least like the Robert Rodriguez portion. Um, so it's not necessarily a Mexican cinema thing that makes it feel like that. Uh, but he is part of a wave of uh, Mexican directors who had initial success in Mexico uh, and then international success in Hollywood. And what was it just a trend in Hollywood to get these, you know, decently named, but only one movie under their belt guys to, to make. I, well, yeah, no, I mean, and we go through, uh, this is not the first time or the last time where that happens. Where like, yeah, it's, it is to a certain extent, like there's always that hunt for like the, the fresh talent. Right? I suppose like that's a part of it, right? Like that's part of the movie industry in general, right? Where they like, we hear about it all the time, and 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 when it goes wrong, it's like, why did they get that guy? And when they, when it goes right, it's like, oh, they discovered a new, right, phenom, right? Like it, it, it it's constant. It's a constant cycle with the, uh, with the film industry, and that's, it is what it is, right? Like that's fine. I know, I don't. That's not. I think that's not the problem. Is that like. This is very much a species of film from its time. Yeah. In the sense that I, you and I both remember this time. This was in, the, the, like, maybe not this specific movie because it's a little early, but, like, indie films especially tend to be, ve- like, rather than blockbuster films, tend to be very much creatures of their own time period, right? Yeah. They're progressive for the moment in a lot, a lot of times. You know what I mean? But that doesn't always hold up super great because progressive for the moment isn't the same thing as truly progressive, right? Like as being truly – 
like truly a, alive and aware of like the world. Yeah. You know what I mean? I would say like something as he evolves, I've, I, I, especially something you get into like children of men is, is, is aware of the world in yeah. a different way. Right. Like it's not progressive for the moment. It is digging at something that is like, I, I don't, I'm choosing it because I love that movie, but like, <laughs> um, but it's I'm something deeper about that movie because I like talking about yeah. that movie, but like that movie digs at something deeper right? than, it, than, than just the moment. Right. This movie is a is in a lot of ways a pot shot at middle class Mexican culture and 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 you know people's conception of sexual practice and I think in some ways it is positive in the sense that like I'm giving it a lot of uh, giving it a very hard time but it is it is taking shots at for example the fact that he doesn't use condoms and that is just fundamentally a stupid idea Right. right, like, and he is is very much painted as being a dumbass for it. Right, you know what I mean? Like, he is he is a dumb asshole for it, and the movie makes that very clear. Right, yeah. And so, in some ways, it is taking shots at a thing that is very much of the moment and of the time. Right, and I have seen a decent number of indie films that are that are like that. Right, like we're like. For that year and that time and that place, it is saying something important that is valuable. And there's nothing wrong with that. But, like, they, those kind of films and those kind of books and those kind of things that fit into that category just don't age as well. Yeah. And this yeah. fits into that category. It, it, for the, and, and I understand why Criterion would put it in the collection because it's, like, this thing that didn't age well necessarily but was really – impactful for the moment well also launched also a career as as the career launcher for for a guy that's I mean. who is making that's how, that's where i was yeah. going is like <laughs> right. this this thing that was very impactful for the moment launched a very important career right and that and there and then in the ending of that has value and you can see the heart of some things in there uh that will come up later uh like it's just that We've seen, we've all seen this kind of movie. Like this one's a sex farce. They're not always sex farce, obviously, but like right. they they have that thing in common where you're like, when you watched it in the theater at the time, you're like, holy shit, like, yeah. wow. And then like you watch it five years, you buy it on DVD five years later, you're like, oh, what did I ever okay. see in this? Yeah, yeah, and or even not even necessarily that does happen, but like. Especially with Oscar winners, Jesus Christ! Uh, but like, but like, with like, especially with these indie films, it's less like, what did I ever see in this, and more like, oh, that just didn't, that didn't hold up well. I probably shouldn't have spent my ten dollars or whatever on this deal. Yeah, like, yeah. It, I, it is, it is pure nostalgia that that motivated this purchase, right? Uh, essentially. Now this this movie didn't just get Corone uh, directorials in Hollywood. Uh, it also launched the career of his cinematographer, Emmanuel Lubeski. Um, now, you know, I mentioned the scene in the foyer with the with flash of lights. We get a lot of dark interiors, bright, happy exteriors, just the broadness of the, uh, of the uh, top of the tower. There's a lot of great cinematography here. Um, and Lubeski's had a phenomenal career. One, he is he is steadily Corone cinematographer moving forward. Uh, he also shot Tim Burton's Sleepy Hollow. Uh, 
starting uh, with uh, with the New World, he becomes Terrence, Terrence Malick's cinematographer moving forward. Mm. Uh, starting with 2007's To Each His Own Cinema, he becomes Alejandro Gonzalez Inarito's cinematographer moving forward, uh, meaning that he shot uh, Birdman, he shot The Revenant, um, he shot the last four or five Malick films. Right. Yeah. Um, he, I mean, he... He yeah he he, he has a a very interesting sense of the I, right. I would say even in this movie a very interesting sense of the drama of a of a space right uh, right like and that's you like it, that is something that is very clear in Children of Men too and one oh, of the yeah, best things sure. about Children of Men is the cinematography uh, uh, interestingly enough I believe it was Lubeski uh, speaking of Children of Men uh, there is a scene in Children of Men and one of the most I think interesting uses you know there's that that extended cut where the camera is moving through explosions and and lots of action and there Mm -hmm. is blood splatter on the camera um and it's such you know it's such a unique thing uh that was accidental uh, yeah well it's a very unique thing that got the shit copied out of it right (laughs) later on also true but yeah no but yeah Uh, but corone wanted to reshoot that and clean and clean the lens and reshoot it uh and uh, and Lubeski convinced him. I believe it was Lubeski uh, convinced him not to, uh, which is interesting too. Um, he's also done Burn After Reading with the Cohen Brothers. Uh, of course, he also shot The Cat in the Hat, uh, the two thousand three yeah, well, Mike yeah. Myers film. And, I've uh, never seen it. Maybe it does have a really like intense sense of like the drama of space. Yeah, maybe. That, like we just don't. You and I just have no idea. Uh, like, unless you've seen it, I'm not gonna. Yeah. I'm not gonna shit on it until I know. Uh, you never know. Like it may be like a terrible movie with just an in, a really intense level of cinematography. Yeah, it happens. Shot, that happens sometimes. He that, shot that, like water for chocolate. Huh. Interesting. Anyway, um. So like, yeah, he's I, he's. Had yeah, a very no, I actually one of the ones that gets me is I think the scenes are stupid, but the sh- the film the cinematography it is amazing. Is um, yeah him running naked down the stairs yes the way that shot is really really intense yeah for like just the dumbest shit in the world right right you know what i mean which is a really fascinating thing because like again you, you're getting into the, the welcome to mike myers cat in the hat <laughs> right where wherein we have really intense cinematography for real dumb shit uh is a thing that can happen and i yeah Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 I just, I, I, like, I, I, that, that, for some reason, him running down the stairs naked, like, especially like the very beginning and the end, like the way, the way the stairs are shot in this, they're just really, it's just really fascinating. It's a really interesting thing, right. and it creates a really, the way all stairs are shot in this too, right? right? Yeah, for sure. But like this one, especially, especially the the, but the the tower does a different thing, right? Like the right. tower stairs do a different thing than these stairs. These stairs create like a really intense level of drama for a place that's just not that dramatic, right? You right. know what I mean? Like, yeah, like this is supposed to be dramatic, but it's very much air quotes dramatic, right? It's like, yeah, this dumbass creates drama around him. Is is different than like what the stairs are saying right right the stairs are like the stairs belong in a different movie <laughs> you know what i mean it, it is like stairs belong in a movie about like 
hardcore drug use or something like that and like in a crumbling life which is the this movie if it weren't also a sex farce right but like it, it, <laughs> yeah, it's, yes it's just it's very weird that way because it's just like those stairs are real intense and they they like they were impactful for me despite what happens on them being dumb right right there is an intense use of space in this film and those stairs are a great example of it uh and that is you know it's it's indicative of a great director but it's it's very indicative of a great cinematographer right um yeah and that's and that's really something this is almost to that extent like a suzuki film uh except that you know he wasn't <laughs> yeah. hired he wasn't hired to make a psa and turned this in he just he just this is just all being, of his own yeah. report his brother wrote the movie right it's not this is just what happened. This is the movie they sought to make. And, and, and to a certain extent, that makes it less, like, not not in a really meaningful way, but, like, kind of makes it less interesting than a Suzuki film in the sense that, like, right. that, that extra level of, like, flipping somebody the bird while you make just a weird-ass thing is, yeah. is, is, is kind of next level. Right. But also, wild, they're right? just making this weird thing, too. And right. there's, there's something to that. In its own, there court. is something to that, right. and I and I and I get it. But like, in, in its own way, though, for me, like that that is a little less interesting because like it makes it fit into that category of an indie film that's very much of its time. Whereas the Suzuki films don't feel that way because like Suzuki couldn't give a flying fuck, right? In in his own special way, right? Like he's not he's not making as yeah he's making social commentary. But his version of social commentary is just swinging a bat randomly around a room, hitting shit. Like it's just, it just is. It's, I, I it's definitely a uh, an interesting comparison to make. It's just that, like, um, I don't know. Like, it, it, this film is interesting. It's just, I think maybe the problem is that like we get into the thing where like I I didn't like the main character when we started, and I don't like him at the end. In 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 the movie and 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 we've and we've before analyzed this and my hangups on this, but like I'm getting every with every movie like this, I get closer to the realization of exactly what it is that bothers me. Yeah, and it is when the movie tells me I'm supposed to like him now. <laughs> yeah, and I still fucking don't. Yeah, does that make sense? Like, right. The movie tells me is trying to tell me. At this point, he's a good guy that you're supposed to like. So it's time to like him more. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, nope, still an asshole. I still don't like him. He has not earned it. Yeah. You know, he didn't, he has not earned my, my affection. I'm not going to give it to him. You can't make me. I think that's fair. Um, I mean, also, like, he is an idiot too, right? (laughs) Like. Yeah, he does. He does spend, you know, a few hours in universe trying to uh, microwave his own head. So, right. Well, and that and that's all kind of funny, right? Like that's yeah. all like goofy movie kind of dumb shit. Like he's an incompetent guy who's like it's debatable about whether he actually wants to die because, like, come on. Yeah. But uh, like, it's just you know. I get it, but 
that's like kind of a, a kind of a cop out, right? They're like, uh, he's, it, I don't know. It's just, he's, he's a dumb guy who's also an asshole. He just is. Right. He's a bad person. And like, and it's fine in the beginning because it's like, oh yeah, like he's a bad person. It's okay to hate this guy. Like he's not nice. He's not a good person. Uh, but then at the end it's like, no, now we like him. It's like, we do. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, you can't make me movie. It's kind of. so another thing uh, another thing that the the Criterion essay talks about uh, as far as this being a a cultural satire is the amount of subtle reference to uh, the the, uh, I suppose cultural oeuvre of Mexico the the, uh, I mean the the baseline cultural understanding of the audience like references that they would get that you and I certainly don't. Right. Um, so, so one thing he talks about there is uh, the mariachi band uh, that his towel falls on at the one point um, that are outside his apartment. And like that, that itself, the fact that there's a mariachi band outside his apartment right. every time he goes out there, it's itself a, a, uh, a poke at stereotypical Mexican culture. Uh, right. But they are, uh, they are playing, uh, Despierta, and uh, wake up. Um, right, it's it's a song uh, that the essay points out was recorded by Pedro Infante, uh, one of the most well-known actors of Mexican cinema's golden age from the 30s through the 50s. Uh, and then, uh, you know, uh, Gloria starts to uh, starts to sing along with it. Um, so you know, it it's. Is a movie about being familiar with Mexican culture, to that too. Right. Um, in that regard, well, I, I, less less about that specifically. I do want to segue to point out that uh, Carlos Coron, uh, Alonso's brother, uh, the the co-writer of this film, uh, part of the Criterion essay or part of the Criterion box uh, box here is uh, there's three character profiles that he wrote uh, for Teresa, for uh, Clarissa, and for Tomas. No, I'm sorry, for Mateos. Or Mateo, not for Tomas. Um, Those three character essays are what he gave. They're sort of biographies that he gave to the actors and actresses playing these parts. And they're okay. like three thousand words long. <laughs> okay. Um, and they start they start with each one's birth. <laughs> uh, but but it's it's still it's it's steeped in Mexican culture in the same way, uh, like the one for uh, the one for Teresa de Teresa de Mastiles starts out. Please, dear God, make her look like Rosido Quintana begged Miss Fortuna Fortunes de Teresa. <laughs> Uh, her mother, her mother, begging, begging, praying that as she's born, she looks like Rosita Quintana, who is a golden age Mexican actress, okay. beautiful woman. Uh, no, Mateo Mateos starts out. Mateo Mateos was born the day the singer Jorge Negrete died. So his mother, uh, feeling responsible, promised the Saint Virgin Matocha that her son would be a great singer and an idol among idols. Um, you know. Okay. 
they are they are themselves you know those first lines are indicative of how steeped in golden age and and uh, you know 50s 60s 70s mexican culture the character bios are and like right that has nothing to do with the characters these people are actually playing, right? Right. Um, but but it's what... It's, it's indicative of where the movie in some ways is headed about sort of like talking yeah. about mainline Mexican culture. And I, and yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. So, so yeah. That's, and like I said, they are, they are long. They are like, they are thousands of words long. Uh, they are not short. I mean, they're they're certainly they are longer than such a thing needs to be, is what I mean by that. Um, but yeah, so the movie is steeped in culture, and the uh, <laughs> the Spanish teacher from Oklahoma is is right about that. Uh, right. <laughs> be dismissive of the criterion as a guy real quick um but uh but yeah i don't obviously i'm not getting that but also like the people offering him jobs in hollywood weren't getting that necessarily right and and i don't think that's what they were right again i think that's not what people are into the fact that like yeah i mean and and there's something beautiful about that but that's it's also its own thing right like that's now of course one that thing, is a, another beautiful thing. Although, again, like doing that in a in the context of this movie is not as much fun as we we have. There are other movies that the context of the movie kind of spoils that to a certain extent because it's hard. It makes it the the movie makes that hard to pay attention to to a certain extent. Yeah, where you like you want to like it doesn't draw a lot of attention. It, it, those are more like. I'm going to take a dig at some, like, they kind of are Seth MacFarlane-esque in the sense that it's like, oh, here's this this throwaway to this thing that, like, we all know about. If that Does that make sense? Like, yeah. it's not, they're not the highlight. They're just, like, an extra thing in the scene kind of feeling to them. Right. Um, which, you know, fine. Like, you know, it, it's fine. It's just, you know, that's that's not... That sort of fits into that same category as being relatively, like, kind of low tier. Like, a movie that's... The movie's not explicitly, I don't think, about, like, the nature of Mexican culture. But it is steeped in Mexican culture. And I think that also explains why it might have done well in America. uh, In that, you know, we don't have the demographics of who went to see this movie. but, But I think there's a... A solid argument to be made that uh, that it hit a lot of Mexican expatriates uh, in the right space, you know. Right. Um, I mean, and that yeah, that that makes sense. Uh, and but in, in again, in in its own right, that makes it um, a movie of its moment, right? Like, I I think you know, and again, there's nothing wrong with that. Like we 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 all enjoy those kinds of movies, but like. Right. Even even now, right? If you went, if you asked a person who's from Mexico to watch this movie now, it will feel presumably a little bit more out of time than it did at. You know what I mean? Like 
yeah, it's references to classic Mexican culture, but the further you get away from that, like, I know about classic American cinema, but, like, references to it don't, like, get my blood all... Right. Like, I don't get all in a tizzy when I see a movie that make a reference to, like, you know, fucking Citizen Kane. Right. You know what I mean? Or whatever, you know, it doesn't matter. The reference is not important. But, like, the further you get away from that time period, the the harder that, the harder that sell is in terms of, um, making it, uh, that exciting for people, right? And, and 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 so like this movie is like I think a brilliant recipe for the moment it like was actually like in theater, right? And and it and us being you and I are not Mexican. We are not from that time period. I mean we kind of are, but like, you know, and it, we're not in that time period anymore. It it, it maybe is not as it, it doesn't impact us the way it probably did in 1993, right? For like yeah. a person who's feeling a little bit, maybe a little bit nostalgic for home and all that kind of stuff, right? Right. So, right. obviously, I, I think there's a, a major audience of of you know art house people watching this too. You know, I'm not I'm not saying oh, it was yeah, only I'm popular sure. in America and, among you know. Among, I mean, uh, yeah, and, and absolutely, I, I'm sure there is, and and. And they were not wrong, is what I like. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah, I want to be clear that they they were not wrong at the time, and they clearly picked. They clearly found a person th- that is very good at what he does. Right. But like you know, it it's going to lose a little bit of that heat as it as we get further away from it. It, it just is. If uh, if I were Caron, this would be the sort of movie that I wouldn't want to talk about. <laughs> Right. <laughs> right, right. Like people right. would bring it up and you'd be like, Well, I've kind of moved on. Yeah. Like, yeah. like I've done like have you seen my more recent work? <laughs> uh seen anything I've done besides that? Because Yeah. 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 And, and and even yeah. like Ichino Ama Tambien is is this in a different light and it's you know, it's a better movie for that different light. So you know, it is You know, they both say, they both start out with uh, with loud sex, uh, so you know. Right. <laughs> Mama Tommy ends a great movie, uh, but yeah. Anyway, I think we probably pull this to a close. Um, we've been talking about Solo Come to Pareja uh, only with your partner, and it is the debut feature of uh, director Alfonso Cuarón, uh, who would go on to make. Uh, a heck of a lot of other movies, yeah, um, and a heck of a lot of great movies that uh, that we love. Um, we will eventually see Ichumama uh, Tambien. It is spine number seven hundred twenty-three. So uh, we have. Well, let's see. This is this is three hundred and fifty okay. something. We have twice as long as we've already been doing this before we get to Ichumama Tambien. <laughs> Uh, so seven years uh, hooray um, look forward to that as I said it is a great movie and I love it uh, um, it is yeah like I said it plays with a lot of the same things but it's also a road movie and 
you know, it's just fun. Right. Uh, but yeah, so <laughs> so that's the only other Corone film in the collection right now. And considering all of his other films, even as prestigious as they are, are uh, are big budget uh, studio work. I don't imagine the Criterion Collection will be putting out a lot of them. Uh, perhaps that means we'll do a Coron list over on uh, Patreon. Yeah, we can do that. That, um, that would work. Yeah. I mean, any excuse to get us to watch uh, Children of Men again. I love that movie, too. Right. Um, but, yeah. So, goodness, uh, I am just not prepared to finish this episode. Um, so. Yeah, no, I, I, I feel like we're both in that ballpark where, like, we probably went a little bit longer than we've already needed to, like, on it. Yeah. I don't – we're having a little bit of trouble for some reason with this movie. Yeah. Uh, next week, we'll be talking about uh, Lodge Kerrigan's Clean Shaven uh, from 1993. So, yeah, we look forward to that. Uh, thank you once again for listening to Lost in Criterion. I am, as always, the on Glass. With me, as always, John Patrick Oitari Dorgan. We'll see you next time. Listening to Lost in Criterion, hosted by John Patrick Oatari Dorgan and the Adam Glass, who edits it. We're a production of WithTwoBrains.com. Jonathan Hape does the music. Check him out at JonathanHape.bandcamp.com. And hey, if you like us, why don't you give us a review on iTunes, like us on Facebook, and support us on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash lost in criterion. We'd appreciate it.